0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Helen, and I'm here with Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hello. Uh, And this week, it's just us, because last week's podcast was our Christmas party podcast, which involved... For inspiring people and us, <laughs> and us as well, uh, and some prosecco and some mince pies and some Christmas cake and lots and lots of chat about inspiring things that people are doing to make work better and the highs and lows and everything in between. So if you've not listened to that one, I think it was definitely a different one for us to do. I hope you really liked it and this week's topic is all about storytelling which feels like a very apt topic because last week Sarah and I went all the way to Dis in Norfolk to see our book being printed so the squiggly career Yay. hooray! Yay. there were moments when we were in a factory and there were like literally hundreds of copies of our book <laughs> <laughs> like surrounding, like us. surrounding us and so they were on conveyor belts your thousands of copies of the book get printed very very quickly and so they're all going through like different stages some being glued oh yeah it's amazing and you can almost just stand in the middle of it and just see all these books sort of like moving past you but amazing experience
1: I think what the one thing they could definitely tell was that um we were sort of first time (laughs) debut authors as I think they called us because we didn't play it cool in any way shape or form (laughs) Hella just looked ridiculously smiley and kind of happy the whole way around. I think I was just in awe of how many books I was surrounded by. I was a bit overwhelmed, I think, and really struggling to take it all in. And so everyone was just being really kind to us and being like, oh, <laughs> like, do you want to have a look at this? And we were both like, yes, yes, we really do.
2: <laughs> oh yeah it was definitely all the people that were like working on the lines I think we were just like beaming yeah. at everyone be like that's our book that's our I don't know if you know but that's our book and obviously they obviously see a lot I of them. I think just saying
1: thank you to everyone like <laughs> oh hi yeah thank you if you could do that gluing that'd be great thank
2: you <laughs> oh dear yeah it was a lot of fun so yes it feels apt that we continue the topic of stories with a storytelling episode today which is really about career storytelling and it's about the benefit of it the skill of storytelling how you can use it and then towards the end of the podcast we're really going to focus on some top tips for you as well some ideas for stories that you can tell and some top tips for how you can do it but before we get into it with just one little a shout for help, a Christmas shout for help from you all. (laughs) Podcast ratings are really important. So our mission is to help make work better for everyone. And our podcast is one way that we do that. And we're so grateful for all the support and sharing and recommendations that everyone does for the podcast. And ratings are really important to help us reach new people. And we are currently at 183 ratings on Apple. And so if just 17 people listening to this could take... (laughs) the slightly faffy five minutes to give us a rating we would hugely hugely appreciate it it would be a lovely Christmas gift and we'd be very grateful for it if this is a podcast that you enjoy listening to and maybe you listen to regularly
1: and I feel Helen probably can't with saying this because I don't know how we'll do it but I want to whoever's our 200th reviewer do you think we could give them like a signed copy of the book invite them to our next live podcast or is that too hard to oh, find someone that's
2: so If you leave us a message and then if you go to Instagram where we're at amazingif and send us a direct message there, so this will all be private, and direct message us the name that you will have given your review on iTunes. So that makes sense. So leave the review and then message us on Instagram at amazingif on the direct message and just tell us the name of the review. And then if you're number 200, I'll get in touch with you and get all your address privately, all that great stuff. And then you can get a signed copy of the book. You'll be one of the first people to have that.
1: So let's start by talking a bit about why storytelling matters in a squiggly career and at work generally. And I think actually for storytelling, there's probably two almost sets of stories that we're talking about today. And I think all of the principles that we're going to chat through and the hints and tips we're going to talk about will apply to both. But I feel like there's the story that you tell that's your own story. That's a story about you, the work that you do, the things that matter to you at work. And then there's almost the stories you tell at work to help get the job done, to sort of help you sell your project or help to bring something to life. It's kind of not so much about you. It's almost about the work that you do. And I think sometimes that can be a useful distinction because sometimes perhaps we're good at one sort of storytelling better than the other often people are better at telling stories to bring to life the work that they really care about or they're really passionate about but perhaps they're not so good at telling their own story so that might just be an interesting reflection to kind of start with and I think we all know that stories are incredibly powerful they're things that stand out that we remember that bring things to life in a way that makes sense for everyone if I said to someone can you remember a story that someone's told you at work in the last month it's so much easier than if I asked you can you remember the numbers at work or can you remember the exact details of a project there's a, a really interesting thing that a guy called Dave Trott has done who is a brilliant copywriter who works in advertising and marketing and he talks about What is a story? What is the universal structural elements of a story? So I thought I would just share those as as a kind of starting point because it's actually pretty simple and straightforward. But I think if you forget one component part, it all falls down quite quickly. And he says there are three structural elements that every story has, which is a hook. I guess that's something to like tease you, get you interested, create that interest. Build which is you've got to explain and I think add more detail. That's when you start to get into kind of narratives and those kind of things. And then three is payoff. It's kind of the ending, I suppose. <laughs> and he talks about the shape that any story must take is a beginning that grabs the listener, the middle that escalates intention, suspense, stakes or excitement. And he talks about an ending that brings it all home with a bang. Now, I think if you initially listen to this, potentially it sounds daunting. I think so, because yeah. You... <laughs> and he's right. But I think as we get into talking about the stories that we've told at work and the small stories that you can tell, you start to realise that you do all these things and we're not trying to do Oscar-winning films or we're not trying to write a master's thesis or we're not trying to do a TED Talk every day. But some of those things are worth bearing in mind and... There is a really brilliant article that he's written and actually all the resources this week, all the ones that we've read, there's some really good stuff out there on storytelling that I think really helps you to just, if you're trying to get better at this, to learn, develop lots of stuff to sort of reflect on. So that's just a little bit about kind of what stories are, kind of why they matter.
2: And in the context of Squiggly Careers, I think so you've got people who are moving around in their organisations more, maybe in their professions a lot more. And I think sometimes you're... I think your identity can feel like it changes quite a lot when you do that. Like so if I think, oh well am I the person who worked in sales or the person who worked in marketing or the person who worked in financial services or the person who worked in oil and gas, like your identity can feel, I think, sometimes like it's changing, squiggling with the career quite a lot. But actually, what storytelling can help you do, I think, and the research says that it, it can almost ground your sense of identity. So there's um a book called, it's a funny title, uh, Selves Creating Stories Creating Selves. Slightly odd, but we'll link to it if you want to get into it. But they say in there that um, for the storyteller, the process of sharing a story helps to reinforce a sense of identity and encourages personal growth. And that's based on things that psychologists have looked at. But I think that idea that it reinforces a sense of identity and encourages personal growth is why actually developing an ability to tell stories and maybe having a few that you know you you can rely on is very helpful in a Squidby career. So when everything might be feeling like it's changing around you, the one thing that stays consistent is your sense of identity. And that can be very good for confidence as well.
1: So we thought it would be useful to share a couple of stories that we've told at work, partly to show that they don't have to uh, be massive. Like as uh, sort of Dave Trott's description makes it sound mm-hmm. uh, quite like a big deal. You'll see in a minute that ours are not that impressive. But also, it was interesting actually when I was trying to think of examples. There were some things that straight away came to mind, and probably because they were stories that I had told. I found it easier to recall them than perhaps some other things that we've maybe talked about in the past where you're trying to think of examples where straight away with this one, I could think, oh, actually, I remember using this story or that story. And it's almost stuck with me as well as hopefully sticking with other people. So i got two short ones to share. One was a probably was the first time that the importance of storytelling really struck home to me. I had been off to uh, do a leadership program at Harvard and I was incredibly excited about doing that program and what I was going to learn. And when I got back to Sainsbury's where I was working at the time, I'd done this presentation that I'd taken ages over trying to really distill, you know, like the key things that I'd learned. I think I probably still got that presentation somewhere because it was <laughs> it had such a impact on me and I really believed in some of the things that I was sharing And though I was nervous and I was sharing it to quite a lot of people, um, almost in like an auditorium setting, I'd really prepared for it, I'd really thought about it. And almost as a throwaway story, comment, and it wasn't actually something I particularly prepared, I talked about before I went, I went to see our chief executive who'd also been to Harvard to do the sort of chief executive equivalent of what I was going off to do. And I just went to see him to say like, what advice have you got? You know, what would you recommend? And you know, what's the kind of experience like? Just trying to get a bit of insight because I was quite nervous before I was going. And his piece of advice to me was, Sarah, I think you should go and be really sociable. And I really wasn't ready for that advice. I was like, what do you mean sociable? He's like, you won't be there very often. You should go out every night. He was basically encouraging me like to go out, go <laughs> drinking. And I was thinking, right, if this is someone who doesn't drink, certainly I didn't at the time. And I'm not particularly sociable, so I'm quite introverted. And it's really interesting. Like he said that to me, and he was saying, Oh, when I went, I took my guitar. And like he he was obviously, and I was thinking, Oh, if anything, it just made it worse for me. And so it really stuck with me. And on a couple of nights where, you know, like it was sort of optional whether you were going to go out or not, you were working a lot when you were there because they wanted you to make the most of it. And there were sort of choices as to, like, do you fancy going out for like a burger or do you fancy doing those things? And actually, his advisor made me say yes to everything, whereas probably I would have been quite like, oh, you know, you're quite drained, you're doing a lot, you're meeting a lot of new people. And I was so glad that I did, because then I got to spend time with other people in a smaller setting. You know, you're sitting having dinner, which is quite nice, quite informal. And the reason I sort of tell that story is I remember asking some people who I worked with about a week after doing that kind of Harvard presentation what they'd remembered about it. Oh, you know, I was like, what did you find most interesting? And the thing that they could all remember was that rubbishy story. (laughs) (laughs) And that was obviously not planned. It's not even broadly that interesting. I think they were a bit surprised. I think they were interested. They were interested that I'd gone speak to him before hand and he was our chief executive so I guess that just makes it interesting they were probably a bit surprised by his advice and then they were interested to see if I'd followed it or not and so for all of these like amazing models I'd done all this I'm going to dig out this presentation it was really good no one can hardly remember any of it apart from this one story and it did make me stop in my tracks a bit and think oh okay that's why everybody talks about you know when you're a leader the importance of storytelling Mm. and just how kind of powerful and impactful they can be that was my first one I
2: think sometimes as well, well I remember when I first saw people doing storytelling it's probably when I was at was Capital One which is actually part of the story I'm going to tell but I remember there was a leader an American I can't quite remember his I think it might have been the CTO like obviously very seen in the company and his name was David and I remember he was the first person I really saw do storytelling so he would stand up and do like an all hands in front of I don't know a thousand people or something and he would start about telling a story about his weekend and it was like supposed to be all about business results and I remember thinking oh it's really interesting that you just started telling the story about your weekend and what you were doing really informally but it really drew everybody in and it made mm-hmm. this quite senior person quite relatable and I think that's my first moment that I was like oh if you can do this well this is quite an interesting tool but actually do you know what the doing it well thing I mean the Dave Trot thing that is doing it amazingly well but that's I actually think you know you you're saying oh this is just a silly little story that I told of course the brilliant ones have finesse they're practice but actually just authentically talking about your experience is a way that people can connect with you rather than you just relaying facts or presentations at work. I think sometimes don't even overthink it too much. It's just sharing your experience or your memories or something that has happened to you. And if I think about stories that I tell, some stories that I tell repeatedly seem to be about the times that I've failed quite a lot. Yeah, Um, I know, same here. People are way more interested. Yeah, I think that's probably why I tell them more because they seem to resonate more with people and people feel uh, that (laughs) I don't know, they come and talk to you about it afterwards and that's what they play back. So I often tell the story actually about when I was at Capital One, I was sort of managing the marketing elements of a particular project. We were changing over lots of credit cards. It was like one of the first credit card products Capital One had launched and since then they basically had launched... Hundreds and hundreds of other cards, and everyone was on lots of different products and they are basically trying to rationalize as boring as that might sound it's like a, a credit card rationalization project and I was part on the marketing part of this because there was lots of changes that were going to go on to people and there was a big it element of it because you know behind the scenes credit cards are really just like numbers and stuff happening on computers and so there was a lot of that going on behind the scenes and I was trying to manage all the messaging and the communication so it was clear Along the way something went a bit wrong and I think some of that was partly my fault if I'm honest. I think I should have had more attention to detail or been clear about what I did know and what I didn't know but I think I just hoped everything would be okay and so I didn't maybe call out explicitly what I didn't know. I didn't maybe feel confident enough to do that and I don't think it was solely my fault but I could definitely see some things that I would have should have done and could have done differently. But as a result of it basically some quite significant things went wrong and people's credit cards didn't instantly work the way they were supposed to. And, and you know, a massive team of people got called onto it very quickly to fix this so that the customers were not affected for long. And the ones that were affected were quickly, you know, there was a positive solution to help them. And what I learned from that I mean, in terms of the failure is quite significant. You know, I thought, oh, gosh, my career's doomed. And I've done something bad and I've got to fix this. But what I really learned in the week or two that followed the incident happening, the morning of realisation of, oh gosh, this hasn't worked as it was supposed to, In that week or two that followed, what I really realised was that it was my response to failure that made far more difference to people's perception of me than the actual failure itself. So the fact that I stayed calm, that I could collaborate with people, that I could put plans in place, that I could update people really clearly with what was going on, but it just became far more about how you responded than actually happening in the first place. And so it's a story I often tell because, you know, you hear a lot of trite things about, oh, we should fail more and failure isn't comfortable and that was not comfortable and I definitely didn't enjoy it in the moment I was definitely worried about what it said about me but within about a month of it all happening I, I realized that I realised that working you know that thing about failing forward If in that particular situation that really rang true for me and my reputation was probably in a stronger place afterwards I'm not saying create failures but for me it was probably in a stronger place afterwards so it's often a story I tell for people who are trying to be perfect all the time or who think that perfection mm. is what will help them and actually sometimes I think it's your imperfection that will help you move forward and build people around you and that's why I tell that story. Yeah, it's interesting. I think on the failure point, particularly
1: probably over the last couple of years, I've probably told some braver stories than I have done for the rest of my career. Stories about, you know, more personal things or where things haven't gone to plan and actually felt very apprehensive about telling those stories and definitely initially told them in what I would consider to be almost the safest possible environment I could be in, where I would almost expect or anticipate to be supported and what's been amazing about telling those stories, to your point, is the amount of messages and kind of feedback and positive response I've had from those has been really overwhelming. So I think kind of telling braver stories has definitely been very kind of powerful. But also I think the thing that actually was holding me back from telling some of the braver stories was I'm very positive like positive and upbeat and optimistic about things. And a lot of the time they're not the sort of stories that I tell I would think I'm almost a bit worried about telling some of those stories. I think, oh, what will people then think of me? I think I had actually quite a big barrier. And then almost when people come and talk to me after some of those braver and tougher stories, I sort of don't want to talk to people because I think, oh, I don't really want this to be the thing that you remember about me. And that was actually a really big question mark in my mind. But I have found, I think I've told some of those kind of braver stories three or four times now, and every time it's been a very positive thing. And those stories have not been really well crafted, probably not as good as the stories that I tell and say, are Amazing If workshops, because I find them a bit harder to tell. Whereas mm-hmm. when they're things that we're used to sharing, you're a bit slicker, you probably are following a bit of a better structure. And lots of the stories that I really remember hearing from other people, if I think back over my career, they're often not the ones that are super slick or got presentations. They're just the ones where they feel like they're very much coming from that person mm. but again not every story has to be a brave story and also it's emotionally draining and absolutely exhausting <laughs> telling those stories I don't think you need to be doing that all of the time my other um, really practical example which I think is on the other end of the scale was it's a very work orientated one I was doing a project about food waste and trying to convince people that we should work with the town to try and reduce their food waste and I'm from a town called Market Harbour so internally I called that project Project Harbor, everyone knew it as Project Harbor, which I absolutely loved after a bit, but I really remember selling that project in a room full of lots of different people from loads of different departments, and rather than being abstract in the story of trying to create this story about this town where we could go and reduce food waste, I didn't do that. I just used Market Harbor. I was like, right, so in Market Harbor, there's one Sainsburys, you've probably got this amount of schools, and because I knew it really well. And it wasn't dissimilar from the sort of town that we were going to be working with. I could bring it to life probably with a bit more passion and emotion. It was a bit more specific and realistic. I think people liked the fact that I cared enough and was passionate enough to to come up with this thing. What was funny is it, it honestly became Project Harbour for, like, for quite a long time. And people were like, why is it called Project Harbour? And every time I'd have to be like... I mean, I did this thing that was actually really good, but I ended up having to live with it for quite a long time. (laughs) And then I got really worried it was going to be almost like people might start talking about it externally in that way. And I was like, no, no, it was literally just I was just using it just to try and basically influence and persuade. And when I was thinking back prior to today, I was like, that worked so well from a very trying to get a project delivered. It definitely got people on board. I'm going to talk through three top tips that I think are quite universal for any stories that you're telling like really useful things to kind of bear in mind and then Helen's actually going to talk through almost some of the stories you can tell to give you some examples of where you might start if you're thinking I'd like to do more storytelling I understand some of the principles and the the hints and tips that Sarah's talking about how do I actually just start doing this I think that bit will help you. So, the first thing I think before you even get started with storytelling is just sit down and almost go through that process that we've been through of think about the stories that you've told and remember the stories that you've kind of heard from other people and think about why they worked, like what was it that kind of worked for you, and you'll get to I think quite quickly the same answers of a lot of things that we've talked about they're personal, they're interesting. They're sometimes, but not always, well-delivered. They definitely feel like the person talking, so they're kind of authentic. It's just them, that person feeling like them. So I think it's just worth bearing all that in mind. But the first tip is definitely to think about structuring your story. Everyone, actually, I've ever spoken to about storytelling, and people in marketing where certainly the discipline that we were both kind of traditionally spent a lot of time working in are interested in stories and storytelling. And I wouldn't underestimate the impact of a story having a very clear beginning middle and end and I know that sounds straightforward but actually it's probably easier to say than to do in reality and in particular I would recommend think about your beginning and your end because then I think you have more flexibility and freedom in the middle and certainly if you are anything like Helen and I we are useless <laughs> at beginnings and ends and we're quite good in the middle <laughs> Every time we ever have to do anything, we're never very good at the introductions or the closing. And we were doing some filming actually for Penguin, weren't we, the other week? And we were we were pretty good in the middle bit, but then when we had to introduce ourselves, we sort of fell apart. <laughs> that's true. And I think if you know those bits, if you have clarity of what you're going to say at the start, it also gives you confidence. I've read quite a few people talk about you know know your first sentence. I actually do think that's quite useful particularly if you're a more nervous speaker and perhaps you're practising this for the first time, just knowing those first couple of sentences can be really helpful. And then almost if you do lose your way in the middle, just knowing, oh, this is how I'm going to end and this is how I'm going to bring it all back together so that your story doesn't trail off or lose impact. Or, you know, if you do lose your trail of thought, you can still sort of bring it back because you know where you're going. I've been on actually a few writing courses and they'll encourage you to just write down one sentence for each of those. One sentence for your beginning, middle and end. And I think if I was doing now a bigger piece of kind of storytelling or telling a new story for the first time, that's probably how I would start to do it. And actually saying that over the last couple of years when I've done some of those stories that felt braver to me for the ones that I was talking about, this is actually how I've done it. I've not worried too much about the middle and it's been a very personal story so I've known it really well I'm not going to forget but I wasn't sure how to start and I wasn't sure how to close and I, I sort of wanted to think about that a bit so actually for any stories that are harder to tell or a bit tougher maybe this is particularly useful so that's the first tip so structure your story the second one is just remembering that some of the best stories are small and short you don't need to do really long stories that are long and winding I think kind of vignettes I always quite like the word vignettes just the idea of small anecdotes which are just real life experiences day-to-day conversations and actually there is some interesting research by a biologist a guy called Robin Dunbar who talked about when we all talk informally apparently about 65% of the time we are telling stories that's probably Mm. all we really do in this podcast I guess (laughs) an occasional hidden tip but there's quite a lot of us just telling our story, probably for about 65% of the time. So he obviously knows his stuff. But I think just remember, though, that they can be just really small anecdotes that could last a couple of minutes, you know, really, really short stories. I think don't underestimate the impact those kinds of things can have. Because, you know, Helen talked about that guy she worked with at Capital One just talking about his weekend. That one or two minutes just talking about your weekend, telling a few anecdotes it's real life, it's authentic, it's interesting, it does all those things we talked about, it pulls you in, it's memorable. And again, I do suspect if at the end of a really busy Monday that everyone's had, if you said, what's the thing that you remember your CTO said, I suspect it will be the... The thing that he did at the weekend. Well, it makes it very um, human.
2: In that example, isn't it as well? I think senior people telling a weekend story of normality—it's like, oh, they're like me too. There's like this it yeah. almost. It's almost the discontinuity is the thing that's really interesting. Like the senior person taking a guitar to Harvard—it's like, oh, that. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's not quite what I thought. It really draws you in.
1: And I think the last thing, the kind of third tip, is to remember you can keep telling the same stories. I've seen people actually feel under pressure to tell almost like a new story every time they go into a meeting or to keep coming up with lots of different ways to tell the same story. I would say a common trait of some of the most brilliant leaders that I've worked for is they are very good at telling the same story again and (laughs) again and again. And I have often been a recipient of hearing that story a number of times. And yes, it might have some slight changes or nuances because they're sort of telling it as it comes on that particular moment or day or the context they're in. But fundamentally, they're saying the same thing. And actually, you can keep it interesting with your kind of energy, with your care, with your empathy whatever I think the style is that you'd naturally bring to a story. So I just think don't be afraid to keep telling the same stories. And we were actually thinking about this before we started recording the podcast today. We actually tell a lot of the same stories in some of the workshops that we've been running for the last six years. Not all the time. We try to keep changing them, also just depending on what's happening to us at any one moment in time. But there are definitely some stories that we come back to because they are particularly useful to illustrate a point around strengths or confidence gremlins. And funnily enough, I never really get bored of talking about them because it always feels like you're sharing them with a new audience you're maybe getting different questions you're getting different reactions so it does feel different every time and we were both talking about how important we know it is to make sure that that you're telling the story to those people in that room in that workshop as if you are telling it for the first time. Because they've not been there for the last six years, the first time they are hearing it in that moment. And actually, the minute you get a little bit lazy or you don't focus on it, then that story loses some of the impact or people get a bit lost. And I've definitely seen that before where I've thought maybe I've rushed through a story or gone a bit kind of long and winding and then thought, what am I trying to say? And it's just because I've not practiced it in the same way that perhaps I have previously. I am always very aware that you can definitely tell the same story lots and lots of times and each time you hopefully like nuancing it getting that a little bit better at it getting feedback on it working out which points really stick so don't feel like you have to go back to work and just start coming up with like millions of different stories every day I think there are the small anecdotes that you could make work really hard for you and then there are some of the slightly bigger stories but you can keep telling those again and again.
2: So I think that on that keeping telling those again and again and really working out am I being a bit too long and winding or have I rushed through it, you only really know that when you start practising them and I think when you also start reflecting on how it's gone. So we're going to talk through three different types of stories that you can tell and that are worth you practising a little bit. And I have written an article on this as well, which we will post on the website on amazingif.com for this podcast. It's one that we did for Marketing Week a while ago, and it's got a little bit more detail than I'm going to talk through now. But it will give you some idea of where to start. So the first story for you to think about is the What You Stand For story. So when you're introducing yourself to people and you're building relationships, talking about you know what you stand for is a good way of people building that relationship and maybe having some credibility and some points of connection with people. So like one of the things that I stand for, for example, is I think that flexible work should be available for everybody. I'm really passionate about flexible work. Now, if I just say that to you, you might kind of nod your head and go, Okay, yeah, interesting, yeah, I quite like that too. You kind of understand what I'm saying, but maybe I haven't made an emotional connection with you. But if I talk about you know one of the things that I think is fundamentally important is flexibility. I talk about my time at Virgin and how actually having flexibility and trust from my manager meant that I could launch a new business for Virgin that I was really passionate about. I could start a side project with my best friend called Amazing If and I was able to have my children and actually in that moment I realised that a lot of the limits that I might have placed on myself about what I could do when I had flexibility and trust, I could really challenge my limits and I realized that I had far more potential. Now, if I start telling you that story, you really start to see, wow, flexibility really helped her. She really cares about it. So the what you stand for story is really important. You've got to think, first of all, if you're going to tell that story, you've got to know what's important to you. So I would think about just write yourself a list of what are all the things that are most important to you in and outside of work and then write down why they are important to you. And then once you've done that, just think about examples where they have really come to the fore in work or out of work and in those examples are like the seeds of your stories for that one so that's the what you stand tell you for what story. Would be
1: useful for that the margaret heffernan ted talk where she talks about everybody should have five statements that they're prepared to defend mm. so i'll make sure that we add that into the resources we talked about it maybe four or five weeks ago because that's why i watched it but i really liked one of my sort of just the actions that she talks about is just going do you know what are the three to five statements that you will stand behind that you will defend that was more about kind of knowing what you stand for but to your point you then go okay so what's the story around why do you stand for those particular things because so it's really stayed with me that has you know even someone just makes a certain point and you think okay yeah, I'm actually really going to think about that because there's probably a couple of things that straight away I would get to going yeah I kind of really agree with that but I'm not sure I could then necessarily articulate all the stories around why because I think what the story does is it answers the why bit
2: Also, what an amazing team meeting thing that would be if everyone had to like do three statements you stand by. And in a team meeting, people like either do it in pairs or they talk to each other about what those statements are, not to justify them, but just to share them for other people to be like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. You know, that's a you'd learn so much about the people that you worked with about what was important to them initially
1: there i thought you were going to go with i have to stand up and do it and then everyone has to like try and debate it and i was like don't make me debate it
2: no just like sharing three statements you stand by with somebody and then the other person has just be curious they have to do like brilliant listening and ask like really open questions to understand it more oh i'd love that would be good i really want to do that meeting
1: should we do that in our (laughs) christmas away day just me and you talking to each other
2: yeah let's do it Oh dear. Okay, the next story, everybody. Um, This one is the instilling confidence story. So confidence is one of the five skills that we believe you need to develop to succeed in a squiggly career. So it's something that we talk about a lot. And our definition of confidence is having belief in yourself and other people believing in you too. It's in your instilling confidence story that you can really generate some of that belief that other people have in you. Let's say you've got a challenging time at work and rather than just going, yeah, I can do that, I can cope, it's fine, I'll do it, all that kind of stuff, which sometimes I can fall into the trap of saying quite a lot, the I'm fine, I can do it. If you want other people to have belief and confidence in you, rather than just defaulting to, yeah, I can do it, thinking about a short story that you might be able to tell of when you have coped with this kind of situation before. So you might say, yeah, this is actually a project I was really familiar with. In my last organisation, we went through a lot of changes, a lot of redundancies, and it was a time that I really stepped up, and that was when I delivered Project X, Y, and Z. You know, you don't have to talk much more, you're just kind of contextualising it. And for you to really think about this instilling confidence story, I would think about two scenarios, just to kind of start yourself off. One way you've approached this, like a challenging scenario of organisational change. So when it's felt really knotty at work and really, really difficult, is there a story that you can get from that when you've had the previous thing? You know, what happened, how you coped, what you did, what you learnt, that sort of thing. And also think maybe like an interpersonal conflict. Sounds quite dramatic, but just was there a time where you felt really torn? Maybe it was about the people. Like I can think there's been times when I've been really torn where I've wanted to give someone some really hard feedback that would really help them in the future but would maybe quite difficult for them to hear now. I really cared about the person and I could tell stories of interpersonal conflict where the role of a manager and being a great manager was different than being somebody's friend and that was quite challenging. So have you got one of those stories, like an interpersonal conflict where you felt really torn? They are brilliant examples that will draw people in but also help them to see and have confidence that you can cope with those situations in the future.
1: Do you think there's a balance with storytelling sometimes where, because I'm wondering whether I've done this in the past, I'm sure other managers and leaders do, that in a desire to have empathy... That you sometimes end up telling stories about yourself, whereas actually you should be listening to the other person.
2: Um, oh God, I mean, I think it's a risk at any time, isn't it? Where you're like, oh yeah, don't worry, I've been there too. It's actually something mm. that they talk a lot about in um, Option B, which is the Sheryl Sandberg, Adam Grant book. They talk about resilience, really, and how you can also help other people. And it says one of the ways that doesn't help other people to be resilient is like a way of empathising with them by just saying, yeah, I've been there, you like, I understand that yeah. this is what happened to me. Um, so I think it's definitely not a great empathising strategy. I think it's more... If you're going to use a story, use it really consciously. So you're not... I think if you consciously used it to stop somebody else from sharing their story, that's not a good tactic. No. But um, if you're... Or I
1: think if you maybe unconsciously used a story because you were thinking, oh, this could be a good time to say, I've had tough times too, and tell that story. I think just knowing when is the right time to tell a story I actually do think is a good judgment skill Mm. because there are times where actually sharing your story actually isn't the right thing to do and it was just as I was listening to you talk there I was thinking I think that's probably something earlier in my career I probably tried to do that because I thought I was trying to be helpful whereas sometimes I told stories at the right time sometimes I think I told them at the wrong times and I think I got better at realising what those right times looked like and where sometimes it's not about you. So maybe that's a good thing for people to bear in mind. If you're Mm -hmm. listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I lead a team, or I'm trying to work out where stories will be most impactful. Think about what are you telling that story for? What's the kind of purpose of trying to tell that? And if in that situation, you're just thinking it's more about empathising, often the best thing you can probably do there is just empathise, not tell a story. If it's more about going actually, let's all talk about things that we stand for, believe in, it's okay to fail, it's okay for things to go wrong. Actually, then I think the most powerful thing as a leader that you can do is tell your story first, because then that role models that that's okay, from somebody who often people are looking up to and perhaps think, get everything right all the time. It's often those times if you can be the first person to tell the story. So I think it's interesting about kind of the where and when of storytelling as well just made me think as you know yeah, i think you're
2: right i think you're right and i think people might not realize they're doing it because they'll think it's a nice thing to do but yeah the other person just mm. wants to talk on that last bit because i think it's particularly relevant for leaders the third story that's a useful one to practice is the future you believe in mm. story so this is really all about a vision like something the future you're trying to create and engage people in and to really create texture around it so if, if sarah and i are talking about. One of the things is, you know, we want to make work better for everyone. That's our mission. And we might almost create an imaginary story and say, so, you know, can you imagine this organisation where everyone is able to define the way that they can do their best work and there's high levels of trust and transparency and people can do this. And this is, you know, you can really tell the story of almost like, like what would a day in the life be like in that company? Then people are imagining it and they're visualising it. And it's so much more powerful than just saying the statement because in the story you've created some, Almost like a sense of reality. You just created a vision in their mind where they can connect with what you've already seen, really. And the story, the future you believe in, story is what you know. Think Martin Luther King. That kind of statements, repeating statements, <laughs> and said, "I know, I know." It's like you know, it's a big one, but that creates a sense of a future that people can attach themselves to, and they can imagine it, and it creates a lot of energy behind it. It's a big <laughs> I'm one.
1: Desperately trying to think of a more accessible example that I <laughs> because <laughs> I can think of lots of examples where I've seen leaders do this really well but then obviously no one will know who those are but you've gone so big that then I was like and I, I don't know I think you know
2: I think less big a lot of tech leaders I mean this is because quite some of my background but I think tech leaders do this really well so if you look at someone like a Steve Jobs or even what a Bill Gates is doing at the moment with healthcare, um, and what mm. he's trying to do with malaria like he's telling the future he believes in is one where malaria doesn't exist you know he'll really start to create pictures around what that could look like so that it seems like a reality people can attach themselves to i mean they're still pretty big ones but i can't i can't <laughs> see inside everyone's workplaces they're just the ones that i'm sort of aware of some of my world
1: actually i'll tell you who's really good jason freed you know who yes, owns Basecamp? Yeah,
2: yeah
1: so there's a book called rework and he is the founder of a company called Basecamp, who do sort of like it's a bit like dropbox isn't it you can sort of share all your documents on there and use it for team working, collaboration working I follow him on Twitter and does a lot of really good commentary on like the future of work. And I think he's good at talking about almost this is the future I believe in and therefore this is why we do what we do in our company. This is, the, this is why we work in the way that we do. And actually, David Hyatt of Do Lectures, he does a weekly newsletter that he very clearly writes because it is just so in first person and, and really nicely written. And he is also very clear about the future that he believes in in terms of He wrote a really nice article last week about the power of volunteering. So, that would definitely be like a statement that he believes in. And he talks about how the future could be if more people volunteered and people kind of looked after each other in that way. So, when you start to think about it, you can see people that I like day to day at work who are good at doing this. They're good at the two parts. They're good at this is the future I believe in. And what does this mean for today? They're good at doing the far out and then bringing it back again Mm. in terms of the ones that certainly I've seen from a more like day to day perspective
2: so should we do a quick recap you recap your top three tips and i'll recap the the three stories yes
1: so top three tips general principles when you're thinking about storytelling one structure your story every story has a beginning middle and end particularly make sure you know your beginning and your end two remember lots of the best stories are small and short and can be anecdotes and conversations and three you can keep telling the same story just make it that little bit better every time
2: and three stories to practice telling. The first story is the what I stand for story. The second story is the instilling confidence story. And the third story is the future I believe in story.
1: We hope you found that useful. As always, all of the resources will be on amazingif.com. There's some really good articles this week. I really enjoyed reading them and some good videos to watch. There's a 45 minute video, but it is of Will Self. Do you like Will Self? Do I you, did do like will, will Self. Will yes,
2: I do. Um, but I haven't I, I'm a big this. fan.
1: I really struggled when I was meant to be doing lots of other work to not just keep watching that and kind of luxuriate and listening to him talking about storytelling with my friend Martin, who I know, who was interviewing him. So there's some really, really good stuff out there that you can, I think, watch and be inspired by, but also some very practical things. So hopefully we try to combine a little bit of those two for you today. As always, you can find us on Instagram. We're at Amazing If, or you can get in touch with us by just emailing us. We're just amazingif.com. We do love to hear feedback on the podcast what do you want more of are there any topics that we've not covered yet that you'd like to hear from we're starting to think now about 2020 like most of us are we're kind of getting into that Christmas end of year mode so if there's anything particularly that you want us to think about for next year now's a good time to let us know like I say we read everything ourselves and, and we talk about it so we really want this podcast to work brilliantly for everybody who listens. Yes, we do also really enjoy it. And I'm pretty sure we do it either way. But now that we definitely do have certainly some people listening, we want to make sure it works brilliantly for you. So please do let us know what you think. And next week, we're going to talk about when things go wrong and what to do about it. Everyone will enjoy it. We've already talked today about how much people enjoy hearing about failures and when things go wrong. So we are going to reflect on all the things this year that have gone wrong for us. All the small (laughs) things, all the big things. And there are loads and it will be funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> loads of things that we haven't talked about some will be personal some will be professional and we'll just chat about why they go wrong in the first place what happens when they do go wrong how to be resilient how to recover and just what we've both learned from it because I think for us this year has been a massive year of transition in terms of amazing if and some of the things that we've been working on and we are learning loads growing quickly at times probably look like we are swans in control and it's all going brilliantly believe me behind the scenes there are also times where we are flapping and paddling exceptionally quickly and madly in all directions so we thought it'd be fun and interesting <laughs> to hear a bit about that side and maybe it just a it bit
2: cathartic up. before the end of the year i might have a gnt yeah. sarah heads up for when we record it <laughs> i think
1: do you know what i think it's a gnt episode isn't it think? Yeah. G... i've got oh. some new tonic really nice new tonic as well so i can have some of that <laughs> um so yeah i think that one <laughs> we're gonna have to make sure that that's under an hour because i think it could just literally go on yeah, and go on, on career therapy Um, so yeah we'll try and keep it to 45 minutes so we don't get (laughs) disappear too much into our own world and try and also make it useful for you in terms of some practical hints and tips as well And we'll do a bit of reading as we always do around the subject but for now that's all for this week and thank you so much for listening and we'll chat to you again soon bye for now
2: bye everyone